Well, happy Easter. Uh, if you're here in the building or in our Skagit building or online from all over the place, uh, we're so glad that you're with us to celebrate the greatest event in all of human history. Jesus Christ was condemned. He was sentenced to death. He was executed on a Roman torture device called a cross. He was crucified, and he died, and he was buried. None of that was terribly unusual in that day and age. But on the third day, he rose again. And I'm going to state something that's very obvious. That's not normal. <laughs> the crucifixions in those days, Romans crucified thousands of people, burying people in tombs, millions of people. But someone raising from the dead on the third day, that's different. That's unique. And that's why for 2,000 years, people have gathered all over the world on every continent in every kind of language imaginable in every kind of setting to celebrate this great thing that Jesus Christ is alive. And that's why we're here today to celebrate. And I'm glad that you've joined us uh, in this time today. You may or may not be aware of Mel Blanc. You may not know that name. You probably couldn't pick his picture out. But I guarantee you, you know his voice. Or his voices. He's been referred to as the man with a thousand voices, and he created more than 400 unique voices of characters, many of them you're familiar with. The voices of Looney Tunes cartoons were Mel Blanc's voices. If you've ever heard the voice of Bugs Bunny, what's up, Doc? That kind of stuff. If you've ever heard Daffy Duck, Sylvester, if you've ever heard of, you know, Yosemite Sam or Elmer Fudd or, or, or Leghorn, Foghorn Leghorn, he, he created all those voices. Those were all his voices. And one of his voices was this adorable stuttering swine named Porky Pig. And at the end of the Looney Tunes cartoons, very often this little pig would come through, break through, and he'd say, bleep, 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 bleep. that's all, folks. Well, in 1989, Mel Blanc died. And his family thought it would be a fitting epitaph for his tombstone with those three famous words of this little pig. And on his tombstone, it simply says, that's all, folks. Now, here's what's interesting. That there's also a date, 1989, his death. The reason that that date even exists, the reason that we even use those numbers, 1989 or 2021 for our sake, the reason that those numbers are even used is because of the life and the death of another individual, another man. And that started a, a date for the rest you know, of, of, of human history. And when he died, there were some heartless Roman soldiers who thought there would be a fitting epitaph for his tomb. There were some hard-hearted religious leaders who thought there would be a fitting little epitaph for his tomb. There were some cold-hearted crowd who cried out for his death that thought there would be a fitting little epitaph. And there were some heartbroken followers who thought this would be fitting as well. That's all, folks. He's died. He's put in the tomb. That's all, folks. In every other circumstance, pretty much sums it up. But Acts chapter 2 says, but God, Acts chapter 2 says, but God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It wasn't going to happen. And so for years now, 
in the, in, the, in the Christian tradition on Easter, there's a little bit of a liturgical call and response. Some traditions say that this actually started with Mary Magdalene. I think that's a little bit of a stretch, but for thousands or hundreds of years anyway, there's been this call and response where the leader would say, he is risen, and then the others would respond, he is risen indeed. So I want us to do that today, whether you're in this room or in Skagit or online, I want us to do this liturgical call and response. We okay with that? That was the question, now with the response. He is risen... That sounds like you're doing it like an obligatory uh, thing because the pastor said, can we do it with just a little more enthusiasm and volume? Like, this is the greatest event in all human history. Can we try that? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Uh, yeah, okay, it's better. Better. I'm with you there. That's good. That's good. Yes, he is risen indeed. And here's the thing. He had mentioned this before. He had mentioned that this was going to happen. Sometimes it was kind of like this encrypted thing where he would say, you know, these things, and they're like, oh, what is he talking? Sometimes he'd just come right out. Hey, I'm gonna, they're going to kill me, and three days later, I'm going to come back. In fact, one time, he didn't just talk about what was going to happen to him. He talked about it in the terms of his identity. When he says these words, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not just, I will be resurrected and come back to life. That's what will happen to me, but I am the resurrection and the life. This is what happens through me, and not just for me, but for everybody else. I am the one that brings about resurrection. I'm the one that brings about life. It is me. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. I mean, really. You know, you're going to make that kind of claim? You better be able to back it up, brother. And he does. And so we have been celebrating, and today we celebrate this great reality that he has risen indeed. But you know what? It hasn't always been a celebration, especially on that first Easter. It wasn't like the disciples were saying, okay, don't forget, this is Easter weekend. Everybody get your pastel clothes. It's going to be great. We're going to have service together. Then we'll have our family brunch, and then we'll have the kids to look for eggs, and it'll be just a wonderful thing. No, no, no. No one expected it, and no one believed it. Luke, in his account, in his gospel, says it wasn't just Easter morning before the resurrection that they didn't believe it. Even throughout that day. So, like, if you're saying, yeah, you know, the Jesus stuff, it's cool. I'm not sure that I believe in the resurrection. <laughs> His, his followers didn't believe it either. You're in good company. I'm glad you're here. That afternoon, Luke tells about this, this couple, a, a guy named Cleopas, and, and most likely his wife. His wife, Mary, had been at the cross. She had seen Jesus crucified. This is in the afternoon. They're like seven miles away from Jerusalem. They're walking to a place called Emmaus. And they're walking, and they're just, they're just distraught. And I love this because Jesus just comes up and starts walking with them unannounced. And they don't even recognize him. And they're down in the mouth and they're talking all this. And, and Jesus, just <laughs> so you can read this on your own. Jesus says, uh, hey, what are you guys discussing? And okay, this is my paraphrase. This is why I don't write a, a, a version of the Bible. This is my paraphrase. Cleopas lo looks at him and says, what are we discussing? Where have you been for the last few days? Living under a rock? That's kind of a paraphrase, which Jesus could have said, well, yeah, kind of. But anyway, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said, and they said, well, we're, we're talking about these things that have happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus simply says, what things? What things? And his response is this, about Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Don't you understand? Don't you know? Have you not heard about this Jesus? 
I mean, he was like not just a rabbi, he was a prophet. I mean, he said things no one else said. And he did things that, man, no one else could do. It was Jesus. And then they sentenced him to death. And they crucified him. That's all, folks. And in addition to that, he said, but we had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that he was the one. He was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Our hopes were set so high that this was the one that the prophets all spoke of. I mean, he talked that way, and it, it seemed that way, and that he was going to be the one that was going to fulfill the prophecies. He, he was one that, he was going to set things right. He was going to do away with oppression. He was going to bring about the goodness of, of, and he talked about it, the kingdom of God and life. We had hoped that he was the one. And now it's the third day. Obviously, they had heard him talk about this third day thing. That's all, folks. And here they are. Frightened, disillusioned, numb. What now? That's all, folks. You know, it's, it's the despair of empty promises. The things that he said. The things that we had hoped. Now it's hopeless. Was this some, some like cruel April Fool's joke? To have us think and put our hope in. John, in his gospel, he tells about earlier that morning. Earlier that morning, some of the women, some of the followers of Jesus, some of the women had gone back to the tomb that morning. And when they got there, there was an angel there, which is a little startling. That's not normal either. And, and the angel said, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. Yes, I know. Thanks for reminding me. That's all, folks. We get it. Yes, we are looking for him. Yes, he was crucified. Yeah, he's not. What do you mean he's not here? Are, are we at the wrong tomb? No, 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 you're at the right tomb. Well, what'd you do with him? Well, he didn't do anything with him. Did someone take him? No, no, no. Did you move him? No, 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 no. And the angel makes these three statements. He has risen, just as he said, come and see. He has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Yes, he was crucified. Yes, he was dead. Yes, he was in the tomb, but he is risen. Just like he told you. Did you think he was joking? You th did you think he was making that up? Was he always speaking in metaphors? No, he told you he would come back, and it's true. So come and see. Come and see what? Come and see that there's nothing in here. He's not here. That it's empty. Come see the empty. See, the stone was rolled away from the tomb, but let's be clear. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. It was to let the disciples in. Jesus doesn't need the stone to be rolled away for him to get out. I mean, could you imagine that? Jesus conquers sin. He conquers death. He comes back from the grave. Oh, for Pete's sake, we've got the stone in the way. Devil's in the details. Why didn't we think about the stone? Here, I, no, no, well, I guess that's all, folks. You know, I'm stuck here, alive, but stuck. Here. No, the stone wasn't for Jesus to get out. It was for the disciples to get in so that she could see. And the women, they run back to the disciples, and they're all excited. And some of the disciples talk about, you know, these women, they're, can't even, they're hysterical. So, so they go to see for themselves. 
John, in his gospel, writes about how he and Peter ran. And, and John's a little cryptic about himself. He's, it's, it's kind of a modest uh, bragging, humble bragging about himself because he talks about himself but doesn't use his name. But he makes it really clear that he's a very fast runner. And Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded by, up by itself, separate from linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb uh, first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. What did he see and believe? What did they see and believe? They saw that the tomb was empty, and they saw that the grave clothes were empty. They saw the empty and now, what had been this despair of empty promises becomes this elation of empty promises. That it's different. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes are empty. And that changes everything. See, the empty promises became empty promises, if you know what I'm saying. At one point, it was the promises that were empty, but now... It's the emptiness that validates the promises. Now the empty promises are something you can bank your life and your future and eternity on. You can swap that word empty out for the resurrection promises. I mean, you think about this word empty. We always see it as so, so negative. Empty had been an adjective. You know, their, their hope was empty. Their lives were empty. There was this emptiness. And then it becomes a verb. Jesus empties the tomb, and then it becomes a noun, the empty. And if you let me kind of play with words for the rest of our time together, when I talk about the empty, I mean that in the most positive way. You could almost just substitute the words empty and resurrection. So I can say, this is Empty Sunday, and I am glad you're here. Today we are here to celebrate the empty. Can I get an amen? Yes, it's the empty, because it's the resurrection. It's the empty, and that empty says, that's not all, folks. The empty changes everything. Years ago, there was a book published entitled Gunpowder, The History of the Explosive That Changed the World. And in doing a review of that book, there was a, a, a newspaper reporter that was struck by that phrase that changed the world and began to do a search and found that there had been over 100 different books that in their subtitle talked about that changed the world. And he just began to list all these things that have apparently changed the world. I have a book in my office, Speeches That Changed the World. But on this list, he talks about these things that have changed the world. Model T Ford, the car that changed the world. You can see the impact that had. Mauve, how one man invented a color that changed the world. <laughs> Cod, a biography of the fish that changed the world. The twist, the story of the song and dance that changed the world. Okay, maybe it had impact, but, but what we're talking about is not a song and dance. We're talking about the empty that changed the world. That there was never, ever anything ever so impactful, so transformational, so powerful, so revolutionary than the empty. The empty. 
It's widely agreed that the most um, highly regarded, and uh, I, don't, I don't even know what the, the accolade would be, the, the, the most celebrated, the, the greatest New Testament scholar alive today is a man named N.T. Wright, uh, Norman Thomas Wright. N.T. Wright. A few years ago, N.T. Wright wrote this book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. And in this book, um, if you include the footnotes and the index, it's over 800 pages. This is Pastor Kip's book, by the way, not mine. <laughs> I don't like books like this. This is the only picture in the whole book. <laughs> in, the, in the introduction, um, N.T. Wright said if he would have cited all of his research and all of his arguments, the book would have easily been twice as long. See, this is how I feel about my sermons. They, you think they're long? Oh, sister. You ain't seen nothing. So the book could have been 1,600 pages long. And now, again, full disclosure, I haven't read this. Are you kidding? Um, but I did, I did read portions of it. And I thought, you know, because I've, I've preached about the resurrection of Christ for, for decades now, I, I thought maybe today I'd just read for about 40 minutes for you. But then I thought, you know, that I would fall asleep in that. So I'm going gonna, gonna to give this back to Pastor Kip, let him read that. What I want to do in the remainder of our time, and, and it won't be a long, long sermon, I promise you that. What I want to do is talk about three empty promises from the empty. Remember, there's a positive word. Three empty promises that changed the world. Not only that changed the world, but can change our world, can change our lives. All right, so let's just talk about these things. Because of the empty, we have these empty promises. The first empty promise is the promise of forgiveness. And let's just cut to it. We all need forgiveness because we've all messed up and we all do mess up. Now, some of you have messed up a little. Some of you have messed up a lot. We're not here to judge that. It's just the truth. Some of you have made some mistakes. You've messed up unintentionally. Some of you have pursued mess ups. You actually, last night, you were out looking for some mistakes to make. And some of you are like just really good at it and have done a fine job. But, but the reality is we've all made mistakes. And we don't, we don't like to call them like what the Bible calls them. We call them, you know, yeah, kind of messed up a little or oops, there's a mistake or oh, there's an accident. Okay, okay, we'll go with accident for a minute. And again, I'm not here to do an advertisement. I'm not being paid for this. Some of your insurance, uh, car insurance companies now offer accident forgiveness so that in the unlikely event that you have an accident, your rates don't have to go up. The only problem is to have this coverage, your rates go up. <laughs> so you just prepay. Now, I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm not your insurance agent. If you're an insurance agent, I'm sorry for messing up your, your, your commissions right now. But in these policies, they will talk about, you know, if an accident occurs, if it's your fault, the first one, can be forgiven. Now, when we're talking about what the Bible calls sin, it's always our fault. And it's not just the first one that needs to be forgiven because that happened hours ago today. It's constantly. We need to be forgiven. And, and let's just kind of set the, the playing field level here because some of you, you're like, I'm not even sure about this church thing and you're, you're, you don't go to church a lot. And some of you go to church a lot, and I, I go to church. I get paid to go to church. 
You know, and so, but let, here's the truth. We're all the same. You remember that thing we did at the beginning, he is risen, he is risen indeed. I want us to do kind of a, let's level the playing field with another liturgical call. I will say, I have sinned. Your response is not, you have sinned indeed. That's, that's not your response. <laughs> My wife will do that for me. I will say, I have sinned, and you say, I have sinned indeed. Can we, can we do this one? All right, can we, can, all right, here we go. Now, if you're sitting like in a Starbucks and all of a sudden you respond back, don't worry about the people around you. You know, if they judge you, they, they don't count. Okay. I have sinned. I have sinned yes. Some of you are very proud of that. You should not be, but we have sinned. We've all, every single one of us. That's what, that's what we all have in common today. And sin does that. I mean, there's, there's consequences in our lives. It impacts our relationships. And most importantly, it impacts our standing with God. That there's this separation, and because of our sin... I mean, we're guilty. Bottom line, we're guilty. And there's a punishment for our guilt that needs to be paid. We've all sinned. And the promise we need is a promise of forgiveness. Now, Paul writes to a church, an, a church thousands of years ago in Corinth, and I want to tell you, they knew how to sin. They were very good at it. And he writes about the empty and he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, if there's not the empty, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. You're on your own. You gotta figure this one out. You gotta somehow deal with your own sins, your own debt that needs to be paid, your own punishment that has, that's coming your way, your own guilt. You, you've gotta deal with that. And this is how we usually deal with it. We think, okay, well then I'll just offset the bad things I've done with good things. And we hope that the standard is a simple majority that I can get one more good thing than bad thing in my life. The problem is you don't know that that's the standard, and how do you know if you've ever done enough? And if that's the case, you're going to spend the rest of your life working to try to be good enough to hope that someday your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds, and you'll never know for sure, and you're going to be completely filled with this, i got to keep working, i got to keep trying, i got to keep going. Here's the good news of the empty. It's the empty promise of forgiveness. Where it says this in Romans chapter 4, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justifications. You don't have to question of this anymore. Because Jesus said, I went to the cross to pay for your sins, to pay your debt, to take on your guilt, to take on your shame, to take your condemnation. And when he hangs on the cross, he says this word, tetelestai, which means it is finished. It's paid in full. And Jesus says, as far as your guilt, as far as your shame, as far as your condemnation, as far as your punishment, that's all, folks. That one's taken care of. And then he's raised to life for our justification. The crucifixion took care of the sin. The resurrection puts us back in our right standing with God. It's not just that we don't have a debt, but now we have a relationship. Now we have this oneness with God to be in a right relationship with our maker and to know that he has changed everything. One more little liturgical call and response. Let's see if we can do this without me giving you any instructions. And I want volume and enthusiasm. I am forgiven... That is the hope 
with the promise of forgiveness. And when we get that, then we can begin living, living humbly in the shadow of the cross, but hopeful in the light of the resurrection. Humble in the shadow of the cross because none of us deserve this. None of us could ever earn it. None of us could ever pay. None of us are worthy of that. That brings the humility because Christ would love us so much and fill with hope because of the empty. All right. There's another one, and it's the promise, the promise of power. The promise of power. Now, there are some people that see this whole story of Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus, as kind of a metaphor, kind of a fable that is inspiring, a story that will encourage us, a story that can motivate us, kind of a, if you will, kind of like an adult version of the, the little engine that could. I mean, you know that story, right? One of you do. The rest of you. Before you die, you owe it, yourse- owe it to yourself. The little engine, okay, since you've never read it, and your parents obviously didn't care about you, you, the little engine that could is this little engine that has got to get these toys over to the other side of the mountain. And there's this enormous hill ahead of him, and he has this little refrain that he repeats again and again and again. I think I can, 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 I think I can. And because he does that, he makes it up over the hill. It's a great little metaphor about being optimistic. It's great as a child. My parents, when we would ride bikes and there would be a big hill, they'd say, remember the little engine? I think I can, I think I can. We go on a hike, think about the little engine? I think I can, I think. It's just be optimistic, positive self-talk. To know that little steps incrementally will allow you to accomplish enormous mountains. These are great lessons. And some of, pe- some of you maybe see the resurrection as kind of like a metaphor with a great lesson that sometimes life just, you, you end up in a dead end. But you just hang in there like Jesus did in a little bit of time and you think you can and, and then you're going to get out of it. You know, life can be really dark. You can be in a dark season, but just hang in there like Jesus did because there's going to be a dawn on a third day someday. Down there, like this metaphor. And if you see it only as a metaphor, it'll be nice little positive affirmation for you. But you will miss the power of the empty. You see, the, the story of the resurrection It's not just so that we can repeat to ourselves, I think I can, I think I can. The power of the empty is for those who know they can't. Listen, I'm all for positive self-talk. I'm all for positive attitudes. I'm all for optimism. Believe me, I am. But the power is more than just some little platitude or some affirmation that you repeat to yourself. It's when you're in a circumstance, in a situation, in a season, a habit, an addiction, or something, and you realize, I, I can't. I've, I've tried. I can't. That I, I need a power. That there's, there's something's going on, and I'm stuck worse than a freighter in the Suez Canal. I can't get off of this bank. I can't do this on my own. And I need something more than just a little phrase, I think I can And Paul writes to this church in Ephesus, and he hopes that they will understand that the resurrection of Jesus is more than just some nice little story to motivate them and to inspire them. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you'll see the truth, that you'll know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He says, let me tell you what I'm talking about. This is what he says. This is his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
And that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That is not just motivation. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's available to us. And Paul would later say, I can do all things because I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. No! I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ who is raised from the dead in power. Christ whose resurrection, empty power is there for me. Anyone need a little of that today? And that's for us. And there's another promise, an empty promise that we have. And it's the promise of hope. And maybe in our world today, this is maybe what we need more than anything. Not just wishful thinking, but hope. In Dante's Divine Comedy, this epic poem, and I, I don't use epic like this epic dude, this epic poem. In the Inferno, over the gates of hell, he has these words inscribed. Abandon hope, all you who enter here. There's no hope. But Jesus conquered the grave and sin and death and is victorious over hell. And he comes out saying, you no longer have to abandon hope ever again. Because there's hope. Does it mean there will never be problems? Listen, the followers of Jesus understood difficulties. They understood hardships. They understood persecution. It was difficult, but they always had a hope. And not just for the then someday when we die. There was that, but it's for the hope here and now. Peter, who was the one who ran into the tomb and saw the empty, he had experienced the, the promise of the forgiveness. And we'll talk about that next week. His forgiveness was necessary. He experienced the power and now he writes about this hope when he writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his grace and mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a living hope. It's not just someday when we die. It's today. And this hope, this hope has a name. See, it's not just what we hope for. It's who we hope in. And it's the hope that we have that Jesus Christ is alive and we never have to face anything in this life alone. He has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. He will walk with us even through the valley of the shadow of death and that his presence can dwell in our lives here and now. Do you see why the empty changed the world? Because the promise of forgiveness, of power, and of hope. One more thing real quick. The four gospel writers all kind of have different accounts of the resurrection. And some of them have details that others leave out. And some of them even seem like they contradict. But here's what they all agree on. The empty. The tomb was empty. The grave clothes were empty. The cross is empty. And there's one little phrase that all four gospel writers use. In John's gospel, it looks this way. On the first day of the week. And they all talk about the first day of the week. The first day of the week. On the first day of the week. Say, okay, great. They all agree on the day. <laughs> Good. Listen, this little phrase, on the first day of the week, is more than just a calendar reference. I think 
It's a creation reality. I think the reason they say on the first day of the week, yes, it was on that Sunday. But I think there's a much deeper message because they point back to the first day of creation. When God began to create a world, as he saw that would be best, it would be perfect, there would be harmony, there would be peace, it would be amazing, in a right relationship with him, it would be a perfect world. And then sin came in and broke it, messed it up. But God wasn't done. And he sent his son, and he talked about this new kingdom, but then he was crucified, and it seemed like that was all, folks. But on the first day, it's like it's a restart. It's a new day. It's a new start. It's a new creation. That God is up to something again. That he's recreating. And that empty promise is the promise of a new reality. A new reality for the world. A new reality for anyone who would want it. A new reality for those who would believe. It's a reality where there would be the promise of forgiveness so that the past and all the sin and the guilt could say, that's all, folks, it's done. And the power to see us through the most difficult things and the hope of his presence with us. It's a new day. It's the first day. And you know what, today? Today might be your first day. I just want to take a, a minute, if, if this like, sounds like something you want in your life and you've never done this, I want this to be your first day. And I would ask you, you just bow your heads right now and here and Skagit, wherever, just, and maybe today you're saying, you know what, man, that's, I, I know I need forgiveness. Or maybe you're saying, I, I, man, I, I need some of that resurrection power what I'm facing, what I'm going through, what I'm up against. Man, I, I need a hope, a hope for today. If you would just pray right now, something along these lines, it doesn't have to be these words. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me, and I believe that you're alive. And thank you for the empty promises that that brings that changes not only the world, but can change my life. I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would empower me. And I want to just walk in your hope and in your presence. Jesus, may the resurrection not just be an event from history, but the reality in my life. So I ask, be my forgiver. Be my friend. Be my leader. And give me your life. Amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer, all of heaven is rejoicing and I'm rejoicing and we're rejoicing and we want to come alongside you it's not just a one and done it's the beginning it's the first day it's the start of a new creation if you prayed that prayer today on your way out uh, we have a, a, a New Testament we'd love to, to have you pick up and a, a little note from me I've got some here in the front I'd love to meet you or you can get them on the way out in the comments if you're online and you prayed that prayer right now in the chat it says I commit my life to Jesus would you just we just want to celebrate with you would you just click that I raise my hand right now and if you're willing uh, to give us your contact information we'd love to connect with you and, and come alongside and encourage you in your walk and maybe you are coming back to faith or just starting in this journey or maybe you're still exploring it I want to tell you about a great opportunity 
that you have that on April 12th, starting a five-week conversation called Starting Point, there's no question out of bounds. It's to, to help just explore the matters of faith. And because it's online, you can join us no matter where you are. And I'd encourage you to be a part of that, to be able to live in the reality of the empty, the thing that not only has changed the world, it changes our lives as well.